Hey, this is Jennifer Barnes. I'm managing editor of Raw Dog Screaming Press, and you're listening to the HP Lovecast podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 17 of the HP Lovecast Presents Fragments podcast. I am Michelle Brittany, editor of James Bond in Popular Culture and the Bram Stoker-nominated Horror in Space. I write on all things pop culture with a special emphasis on horror, fantasy, and spy genres. And I'm Nicholas Dyack. I'm a pop culture scholar of Peplum Films, industrial music, horror studies, and I'm the editor of The New Peplum from McFarland. Michelle and I also co-edited Horror Literature from Gothic to Postmodern, also from McFarland. In today's episode, we'll be discussing Lovecraft's Iraq, a new novella by author David Rose and published by Screaming Banshee Press. But before we dig in and discuss the story, uh, let's start with a plot synopsis. With the death of their team lead, Ellers, Silver assumes command as Stygian 2-3, a marine recon team comprised of himself, Wynn, Hutch, and Mangler. It's a few months after the Battle of Abu Ghraib, and the American forces are encountering pockets of insurgents. One evening, Stygian 2-3 sent out to investigate a mysterious house, a site earlier where an American scout sniper team unwittingly activated pages from the Necronomicon or some other mystic text, and were friendly fired upon by a cat team. Since then, things have been more eerie, and a new splinter sect of insurgences are popping up. On their first encounter of the glowing house that rebuilds itself, Silver and his team encounter resistance from other Iraq forces, which they are able to repel. But during all this, their electronic equipment ceases to work. They are chastised for this when returning to base. On their second encounter with the Glowing House, they accidentally summon a Shantok, which mimics their movements. A Night God comes in, and a battle erupts. Wynn is killed and taken by occult forces, resurrected, and made into an undead assassin. Back at base, things are not going well for what is left of Stygian 2-3. A conflict of what really happened, inner team turmoil, and higher brass not believing them. Meanwhile, another resurrected evil, in the form of a little girl, has more and more sects following her commands. Wynne is sent to assassinate Green, a friend of the team who works in code-breaking, but before turning his attention to Silver. Wynne is dispatched, and the rumor mill circulates that Silver and his team left him to die. Hutch eventually turns his back on Silver and joins the sect and attempts to kill Silver, but he too is thwarted. With their reputations in shambles, Silver, Green, and Mangler abscond off to that cursed house for a final confrontation where they fight insurgencies, tentacled monsters, and old gods from other worlds. Dun, dun, dun. All right, so Lovecraft's Iraq. Michelle, your general thoughts. Like it? Love it? Uh, I really liked it. Um, I very much enjoyed... Uh, the locale, uh, while also blending uh, Lovecraft's dreamlands, seemed like a, an actual pretty good fit. And I really liked uh, the use of the military 
particularly since the military is so structured and, you know, rule-focused, how can that really survive in a Lovecraft story where the mythos is dynamic and organic? So I thought that was really interesting and, and um, you know, definitely allowed me um, an opportunity to engage in a different level and in a different kind of, of story. Uh, I liked the squad-based characters, and I thought that their various relationships actually added to the storytelling, um, including, you know, one of the one of their own kind of turning their back on Silver. Um, I think really the only thing that I had um, that was kind of tough for me was the lingo, uh, and just trying to get in to under you know I'm not from a military background so that was a little bit tough for me but overall I really enjoyed the story how about you I, I echo similar sentiments uh I dug it but half the book I'm not the target audience for so uh first the, the Lovecraft stuff which we'll dive more into I thought that stuff was spot on especially that glowing green house that can rebuild itself that was I, a cool aspect that, yeah that that aspect that that should be like a scene in a video game like you go into and you're fighting your way through it and things keep reforming and stuff um but uh, th there's a lot of lovecraft stuff that yeah we're lovecraft podcasts here that's the stuff we know and appreciate but this novella is unique in that it combines lovecraft with military fiction and i don't read military fiction it's not really a genre i've been too interested in and that's just all me. I mean, I've played a lot of military games like Call of Duty, and we've watched our fair share of military films, but I think military fiction, you know, really relies on the lingo and being in the... It's like reading cyberpunk, but you're not, like, tuned into cyberpunk. So, um, it was... The military part was a little different to me. It, it took a while. I mean... It took a little while to get used to, and I know um, David Rose, you know, tried his best, like, he would, like, say something in the follow if the acronym, so things like that worked, but a good chunk of this book was, what was that? And I would have to go to Wikipedia and look it up. Mm -hmm. So, I'm just not the target audience for that, but I know folks that like things like Weston Oaks's SEAL Team 666, th this is the book for them. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I give it a lot of credit, though, that, you know, Lovecraftian and Cosmic Horror is is so malleable can can be combined with other genres and now we're seeing it combined with military and so so that i think is really cool yeah i agree i i really dug the house uh concept and the fact that so much took place there and you know uh david did something with technology and that is that you know he effectively was able to basically shut it down because that is kind of an uh is an aspect to storytelling that can be challenging. Why is, can't you just call on the cell phone? Yeah, the murderer is getting you. Why can't you just call on the cell phone? Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, uh, he, he, he manages that, you know, and, and he does something about it. So that way you're not like, just as you say, why can't you get on the cell phone? Why can't you radio the base and things like that? So um, I thought that really worked. Um, you made a comment about um, this being... Uh, something that you could play in a video game and I kept that thought kept coming into my mind as I read through through the story is that this would make a really fun video game you, you know I, 
some most of the time when we talk about these types of uh, uh, books, you know, we try to equate it to movies, you know, kind of this drawn head. And there's two movies in a video game I equate this to. So to me, this book has kind of like three acts. The first act is very much Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. I mean, you're Sam Fisher, you're tiptoeing in, looking around, staying in the shadows. Um, uh, and, and I love the Splinter Cell games. I mean, come on, Michael Ironside is awesome. But I thought like the first quarter of the novella was very much like a Splinter Cell game. Not like an over-the-top Call of Duty where it's pow, 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 pow. That's, that's the final quarter of the, the, the book. It's very... I don't even so call it dude, but you know, very predator, very climactic, very um, hey, here's a you know, the forces going up against the big monster. And, and the cool thing about that is usually in monster films and Lovecraft films, the military is just a meat grinder. Those characters are designed to be churned and spit out. The mm -hmm. Godzilla steps on them. The house, the cabin in the woods, all the monsters kill them all. You know, it's usually the non-military people that are the heroes that survive to the climactic end. So it's a nice change of pace that it's the military heroes at the end doing it. But I do have to say, the middle of the book is Jarhead. And I know the movie Jarhead has a very specific point getting across that military life is sometimes very humdrum, boring, and you're waiting for. So when they're not out in the field looking at that crazy spooky house, there's a lot of, man, people are just kind of mad at us. Man, I'm going to go work out. Man, I'm on guard detail. So it's, I, I'm thinking, again, people who lived it and know the military fiction will have that resound with the, them a bit more they're probably you know as they're reading it nodding along oh yeah i remember that yeah. uh you know that night that i had to stand guard or <laughs> how you know crappy some sort of duty was yeah mm -mm. so there's a lot of lovecraft stuff in this i think you said you uh video game and two movies so jarhead and predator oh okay yeah. sorry although predator slash call of duty like the end of like a lot of the Call of Duty uh, games where it's just so over the top. Mm -hmm. I actually thought of uh, Black Hawk Down uh -huh. as uh, like Lovecraft meets Black Hawk Down mm -hmm. is kind of a, another thing that I thought about. Um, but as far as like making this novella into something, yeah. I thought a video game would be great because oh, yeah. it'd be really cool to, you know, uh, stealth around and... and I, I really want to visually see that house as it reforms itself and how creepy that would be. I, I just, as a side note, I've been playing a lot of State of Decay 2. And one of the things, State of Decay 2 is zombie apocalypse. But one of the things about State of Decay 2 is your characters can sneak up on a zombie and Sam Fisher kill them. <laughs> yeah. And I've, ne I've never seen that in a film before. Usually, you know, zombies are coming towards you and you just gun them down. Blah, 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 blah. Um, I've never even thought of stealth killing a zombie. With that in mind, you could totally do a Splinter Cell 6 Lovecraft game. I, I just, I like the idea of, you know, there's some <laughs> Innsmouth fish monster that you creep up and go, cha cha chow you know, stuff like that. It could lend very well. Mm -hmm. So, m more on the Lovecraft stuff. There is some great cameos of Lovecraft stuff in here. That This is where I think the book really shines. Um... Like, we get to see Shantox. We get to see Night Gaunts. 
And for those who have a copy of uh, uh, Peterson's Field Guide to Cthulhu Monsters, you could see pictures of them. So you could see just how badass those critters are. Um, the ending, you know, it's it's in the dreamlands. There's uh, the, the ending makes me think a lot of Lucille Fulci's The Void. Not Void, I'm sorry, The Beyond and the movie The Void. You know, mm-hmm. basically you're in another world. There's monsters around and it's desolate and crazy. Um, uh, and uh, it, it's just nice to kind of s- see that type of stuff. And it's nice to see you're in the cradle of civilization type era. You know, uh, so, you know, the birthplace of the Necronomicon and all that stuff. And I think a lot of this takes that Lovecraft that's always been kind of behind the scenes and builds on top of it with a military twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's part of what I think really makes his story work is the fact that you do have that military you have you have the yin yang going on because as we know dream dreamlands is as i was saying earlier malleable it's organic it's it's not something that you can really pin down and yet the military is very much in that that idea is to be able to have rules in place to basically structure for every scenario i mean Mm -hmm. that's what they're known for and it's like what a perfect way to basically turn the world of Mm -hmm. the military upside down and then say okay and now how are you going to deal with it you know and how each segment of the military because you have the higher-ups which are trying to um reconcile and kind of logically you know, explanation around it versus, you know, like Silver and his group, um, and even the doctor, you know, sides with Silver and their their observations of what happened. Um, and even the doctor is like, even though he acknowledges the higher-ups are kind of like, no, you, no, you won't do that. <laughs> but, well, I think if overall, if you had to pick a theme for this book... It's authority and leadership and the critique on it. And that's something we've seen in a lot of Lovecraft before. So like most texts of Lovecraft, they're they're critical of authority. You know, the police are scientists. You know, they can't ever solve the problem. Um, Like in uh, Horror Red Hook, you know, the police are trying to stop the uh, sacrifices and save the kids. And they can't do that. Color out of space. They bring the meteor to the scientists. We don't know what this is. Um, But... uh, Lovecraft's Iraq follows this vein, but with an even more laser focus on leadership and armed forces. And and it's kind of sad that most of the leadership in this book, they're either, they turn to corruption or a blind eye, or they're inefficient at coping with all this stuff. And so you, you've, you've said one of the examples of, you have... Um, uh, Captain Ashton, he's imitating, he's intimidating medical personnel to falsify Nguyen's autopsy. Mm-hmm. The medical guy comes in and says, this guy's been dead forever. And, you know, the, the, the captain's like, don't write that in. You know, that's hearsay. You got the character of Head, who's a commander of sorts over another character named Miller. And they want to kill him. They want to make it look like suicide. And one of the kind of odd ones is Silver himself. He's not exactly born to be a leader. Um, yeah, one of the characters even admits, uh, as Captain Ashton, he says, quote, Silver, not exactly absorbing the role of team leader, but he still holds promise, end quote. 
and, and to be fair, let's just be truthful here, evil forces and radio silence or not, most of Silver's missions he's in command of don't go as well as planned. <laughs> no, they don't. Um, well, I, I, I'm going to do a shameless plug here of my book, because I think it ties in, darn it. Okay. So, in my book, The New Peplum, uh, Kevin Wetmore has an essay called In the Green Zone with the Ninth Legion, the post-Iraq Roman film. And he basically talks about how a lot of these uh, Iraq films, uh, not during the 2005, when the Iraq War was going on, we had a slew of... Uh, of neo-peplum films that came out and his thing was a lot of these were similes for for the iraq war so this ties into kind of the you know critique of leadership and like it's really the grunts on the ground that are carrying this story so so quote the post-iraq peplum film echoes the experiences of american soldiers in films such as redacted stop loss and green zone all of which feature scenes of small groups of American soldiers in Iraq, guarding checkpoints on patrol, engaging with the locals, and surviving attacks both from weapons fire and IEDs. These soldiers are the good guys in enemy territory, sent, by, to, sent to fight by politicians who avoided combat themselves, fighting mostly for their lives and to protect each other, and, quote, the ruling class, and in this case, for, for a side note, and the ruling class for Kevin is more the politicians and stuff, but I'm going to say the ruling class, the higher-ups in the armed forces, as being yet another enemy of the common foot soldier who is the salt of the earth, end quote. And so it, this this book, even though it's military fiction, and I, I, I want to say, again, I don't read enough military fiction, but one of the goals of military fiction is prop it up, make it sound technical, make it sound kind of glory-bound, and maybe a little jingoistic. Um, because this book takes this route, it doesn't have that. It doesn't feel as jingoistic as some other kind of pro-military books. So I think that's kind of a... It's a take I'm taking from it. At the very least, Rose is extremely critical of leadership in the military. They're corrupt. They will kill you. They will falsify records and all that stuff. So that's kind of, that's kind of bad. Um, yeah, particularly when the military is a component of our society that is meant to keep law and order. In the end, where are we with regards to the wars and whether were they very effectual at the end of the day. <laughs> Hindsight? Nope. <laughs> I think another Lovecraft quality that stands out is the meta-ness. We've read uh, quite a few share of uh, Lovecraftian stories where Lovecraft's books and Lovecraft himself like exist in the same universe. Mm -hmm. Um it's this meta quality that pops up that, that I kind of dig. It adds this intertextualness to it. Uh, if you recall back uh, last year when we read um, uh, Fred Chappell's Weird Tales and Wonder and Glory Forever, where it tries to explain where Lovecraft got all his ideas from a drunk poet from another guy. So, you know, this, this idea that there's this spooky haunted rebuilding house. And again, that house is awesome. I just, the, the side note, the imagery when they're sitting there watching it, the, the stones kind of coming back up in a place, the bullet holes healing, 
that's cool. That is how, how do you that, that how do you cope with seeing something like that? That's this mm -hmm. cool. But you know, inside the house is is a pile of Lovecraft books. I mean, the same stuff that we can go to Barnes and Nobles to the discount bin, and there they are. But you know, between the pages are actual pages of. I, I'm assuming it's the Necronomicon or some other book like it, because you know, Lovecraft worlds are full of you know evil books stuffed in there, and uh, it kind of it's it's one of those things. One of the questions I ask myself when we read a lot of these films is, how does a normal person like you and I and in this case, Silver. Silver's a normal person. He just happens to be in the military. But how do we get drawn into crazy worlds? How do we actually get plucked up and now we're in a sci-fi, fantasy, Cthulhu world? How does that happen to day-to-day -day people? Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the answer is it doesn't. But, you know, books solve that problem for us. And just the, the fact that, hey, here's a pile of run-of-the-mill Lovecraft books... And some pages put in there sets off this chain of events of, of you know, dark evil forces <laughs> and so on and so forth. And I don't know. I think it's neat. It's a nice way to, to bring all the myth of stuff together because this book is very, the novella is very open ended. It accepts all that stuff. I mean, by implication of Lovecraft stories being real, and you know. That's what the character Green researches off of. It inherently makes successor texts real. Might as well make uh, Lynn Carter stories real or August mm -hmm. Derleth stories real. I mean, why not? I mean, August Derleth wrote about, you know, them getting on top of winged monsters and flying to other planets. That's what they do in here, so go yeah, for it. which is something that I, that <laughs> I liked in this one as well, is the fact that they had... Um, spells in which to kind of control the the monsters um like the dragon character was that the the shantok yes um i just thought it was so cool i mean i almost thought a never-ending story and i'm like i know that's <laughs> not what the dragon looked like but um just the fact that we had some very small amount of control over dreamlands which is really a misnomer because we really don't but um it is kind of an interesting play visually with these various monsters and how uh david rose brought in so much of that mythos and he he weaved it very nicely into this story um yeah and, and the ending too is extremely lovecrafty because at the end of most lovecraft stories the good guys, I'm going to say, quote-unquote, win, but it's a fyric mm -hmm. victory almost. You know, you know, Cthulhu isn't dead. You know, he just got bopped in the head, and he's back under the ocean chilling. You know, that, that statement of you can't really stop the evil. You can only, you know, slow it down a bit. And uh, Lovecraft's Iraq does the exact same thing. At the end of the book, all, all his team except for him is dead. Uh, but yeah, you know, spoiler. <laughs> this is a podcast where we talk about what's going on. Of course, there's a spoiler. Okay. But like, but like, you know, um, Captain Ashton, who's been, you know, kind of one of the internal antagonists. He's got the pages of the again Necronomicon or Necronomicon stand-in. He hands it to the bad guy, the Imam. He's like, "Here you go. You've been looking for this stuff. Ah, thanks, dude. I'm not gonna go do evil things with this." <laughs> so cue sequel, which 
if y'all listen to our interview with David Rose, there might be some uh, parallel stories in the works. Wink, wink, check out that podcast episode. But the ending has that fatalistic cosmic horror ending where the good guys barely win. I mean, at the end, Silver's in his cot. He is messed up. He's seen a lot of stuff. He is forever insane and irreversibly bad. The bad guys are probably going to win the next time around. So, yeah, it follows It follows the template. It follows it well, and it does some new stuff with it. I, I agree. I'm kind of curious, you know, the fact in our interview with... Uh, David Rose, and he was mentioning, you know, sequel or kind of like, you know, uh, side-adjacent story. It'll be interesting to see if it'll be in Iraq or if it'll be, you know, after Silver comes back, you know, home. Um, and what kind of social commentary might be uh, intertwined with that story. Yeah, what, what do you do when you come back from war with PTSD, not just from combat, but from seeing other earthly monsters that's that's got to be a what's that movie altered states the one with uh tim danny aiello whatever it's jacob's ladder jacob's ladder that's what i'm going for oh okay this 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 sequel to this would be a very jacob's ladder type thing i assume (laughs) all right well that kind of concludes my points any final things from you i mean overall i dug it it was it was a little tough at times to get in the mindset for the military fiction. I, I think, again, folks who dig military horror will scoop this up and identify with it, be able to put themselves into the combat boots a little better than I can. But the the Lovecraft stuff is fresh, new, chef's kiss, uh, especially the, the spooky, haunted, glowing, rebuilding, immortal house that contains portals to other worlds. Uh... I make it sound more comical. It's not. That house rules. It's, you know, they have gunfires from it. They open up portals to other areas in it. It's just ground zero for a lot of stuff going down. And it's detailed so well and so spooky. And it needs to be a video game level, like we said. (laughs) Well, on that note, uh, we're going to take a quick musical intermission. And then we'll be back uh, uh, to wrap up this episode. Welcome back. We would like to thank Jennifer Barnes, managing editor of Raw Dog Screaming Press, for her bumper this month. Honored with HWA's Specialty uh, Press Award, Raw Dog Screaming Press focuses on dark, deviant, off-kilter, thought-provoking literature. They are also the sponsors of our Anne Radcliffe Academic Conference this year. We wish Jennifer and Raw Dog Screaming Press much continued success. Or as I like to say, raw dog screaming, press. So, if you've listened to episode 49 of HP Lovecast, then you already know what May uh, has in store. It is a theme month where we'll be focusing on music. For our 50th episode, we'll be discussing James Wade's short story, The Silence of Erica Zahn, found in The Disciples of Cthulhu, collected and edited by Edward P. Berglund. This episode will be released Sunday, May 15th. 
And for our Transmissions episode dropping on the last day of the month, we'll continue our focus on music by interviewing musicians who are making Lovecraftian-inspired music. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our website is hplovecast.com. And, of course, you can email us at hplovecast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and feel free to explore our archives. Consider supporting us by purchasing our books. We each have Amazon author pages with links to all the books we have either edited or contributed to with individual essay chapters. Or if you feel like donating a dollar or two, we have a coffee account. A link is provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.